Jesus hung on the cross for six hours. He hung on the cross from 9 a.m. in the morning until 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And in the first three hours on the cross, Jesus made the first, said the first three words, the first three statements from the cross. Uh, first, he said the word of forgiveness to the people who were crucifying him. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And then Jesus said the word of assurance to the thief on the cross. The thief said, remember me. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. The word of assurance. And then he spoke the word of love to his mother and his best friend John. He said, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. The first three hours on the cross, 9, 10, 11 o'clock, Jesus makes three important statements. And then at noon, everything goes dark. From noon to three is usually the hottest, brightest time of the day. But Matthew 27 says at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. At about three o'clock, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That's the actual words that Jesus spoke. It's Aramaic, spoken language of the day. And it means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the Bible says that he literally screamed it. Nothing hurts more than being rejected by someone. And some of you growing up, you were rejected, abandoned by a parent. Some of you as an adult have been rejected by a spouse. Abandonment happens. In the crucifixion of Jesus, he's progressively abandoned by everybody. First, he's abandoned by Judas, his disciple who betrays him. Then he's abandoned by the other 11 disciples as they flee, afraid they're going to be arrested and crucified. And now on the cross, Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's interesting that every time Jesus refers to God in the Bible, he refers to him as Father, except in this one time, where he refers to him as my God. Because at this point, the father and son relationship has been broken. The cross broke the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. Jesus had never known what it meant to be out of fellowship with God. We know what it's like. We know what it's like when God's a million miles away. We know the coldness, the distance, the estrangement, feeling like your prayers aren't being heard. But Jesus had never known that. He'd always lived in complete fellowship with God, and yet at this moment when he takes the sin of the world upon himself on the cross, God turns away from him, and Jesus says, why have you forsaken me? What's going on in this fourth word from the cross? On your notes, write this down. Jesus became my substitute. On the cross, Jesus assumed your place. He paid the penalty for your sin. He took the punishment for everything you've ever done wrong. Jesus Christ, in his infinite love for you, became your substitute. 1 John 2 2 says, He, Jesus, is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And circle the word atoning. What, what is atoning? Atonement. What does that mean? Well, atonement means to make payment for damage done. You bust up somebody's car, you, you got to atone for it. You break it, you buy it. That's atonement. Atonement uh, means someone has to pay the penalty. Uh, atonement satisfies justice. I mean, would you want to live in a world where no one ever pays for any of the wrong that they do? No. 
Justice demands when sins are committed that someone has to pay for it. And Jesus became your someone. He became your atoning sacrifice for your sin. He satisfied the law. He satisfied justice. He atoned for your sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 describes the process. It says, God took the sinless Christ and poured into him our sins. Every sin I've ever committed, every lie, every bit of lust, uh, every bit of jealousy or greed, God took all of that and poured it into Jesus Christ. Everything you've ever done wrong, God took all of that and he poured it into Jesus Christ on the cross. Then in exchange, he poured God's goodness into us. That's what it means that Jesus is your substitute. Now, if you don't accept Christ as your substitute, then you will pay for your own sin. Either you're going to pay for your sin forever in hell, or you can accept Christ's payment, but someone has to pay. And God doesn't want you to pay for your sin in hell. That's why he sent Jesus Christ to die for you. But you've got to accept Christ as your substitute. The principle of substitution teaches us uh, three things. First, on your notes, it teaches us that God is holy. Revelation 4.8 says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The real God, the God who created the universe, the God who created you, 100% pure, 100% just, 100% perfect. An imperfect God is no God at all. An imperfect God is not worthy of worship. But God is 100% perfect, 100% pure, righteous, holy. He cannot stand imperfection. He cannot stand unholiness, evil, and sin. He can't abide it in his presence. And so that means we got a real problem. Because you and I are tainted by our sin. Habakkuk 1.13 says this about God. It says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. That's why there's no sin in heaven, no evil in heaven, because God can't tolerate it. A holy God can't allow it in his presence. A, a holy God can't allow imperfection to contaminate a perfect being in a perfect place. So what's happening on the cross is God is perfect, Jesus is perfect, and God in his infinite love for you and me says, I'm going to take all your sins, every rape, every child abuse, every murder, every act of adultery, every bit of gluttony, every bit of jealousy, every bit of gossip, theft, I'm going to take all of that and I'm going to pour it into Jesus Christ who is the willing sacrifice. Jesus said, I'm willing to take all of that on. That's why he's called our Savior. And at that moment on the cross, Jesus is willingly taking the sin of the world on himself. And God, who is holy, can't stand to even look at his Son. And Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In all of eternity past, in all of eternity future, Jesus and God are one in harmony. They're one in intimacy. They're one in love. But in this moment, when Christ is bearing our sins in his body on that cross, God can't even look at him because God is holy. Seth, second thing we realize is that sin is ugly. Ugly. 
The cross reveals how ugly sin is. In our day, we, we don't think sin is ugly. In fact, we think sin is fun. We think sin is funny. You know, TV shows, movies, sitcoms, jokes, most of them are based on the concept of sin. Satan's strategy is to get you to laugh at sin so you don't take it seriously. But, but sin is not funny. It's ugly. You want to know how ugly sin is? Look at what it cost Jesus Christ on the cross to pay for your sin. The cross shows the damage that sin does in our lives. It does three things. First, sin alienates me from God. Sin breaks my relationship with God. Sin uh, puts distance between God and me. Isaiah 59, your evil has separated you from your God and your sins have caused him to turn away from you so he does not hear you. God is holy. He can't look upon our sin. He can't even listen to it. And so there's a break in our relationship with God. We're alienated because of our sin. Next, sin distresses me. Sin causes enormous stress in my life. Worry, fear, guilt, remorse, regret. God never intended for you to live with those things. But those are the things that come into our life when we don't live the way God intended for us to live. So sin causes anxiety and shame and insecurity, distress in my life. Psalm 38, 4, David says, My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. One of the greatest sources of stress in your life is unrecognized and unresolved guilt. You do what you know in your heart is wrong to do, and then you begin to rationalize and justify and excuse it. But you weren't meant to live alienated from the God who created you, the God who loves you. And so it causes distress in your life. And third, sin condemns me. Psalm 7, 11, God is a righteous judge and always condemns the wicked. What does righteous mean? Righteous means God always does the right thing. God always does what's right and honest and, and just. He always does the right thing. You may not think it's the right thing. I may not think it's the right thing. But God always does the right thing for you because he's a righteous judge. I'm not always a righteous judge. You know, I can judge people unrighteously at times. I mean, somebody says something the wrong way or, or, or looks at me the wrong way or does something I don't like, and I can judge them unrighteously. You do too. You judge people on the basis of their appearance. You assume that you know what you know you don't know. You judge people's motives when you don't even understand your own motives. We, we, we do that. God never does that. God is a righteous judge. He always does what's right and good and honest and just. God is not just a God of love. God is also a God of justice. If he weren't, evil would go unpunished. You know, what's loving about everyone getting off scot-free for all the evil they do? But God is, is, is a God of love and a God of justice. He always does what's right. And so as a God of love, there are some things God hates. God hates evil. God loves you so much that he hates sin. God loves the world so much that he hates evil. He, he knows what sin and evil do to people. And God hates sin because he loves you so much. 
Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin. I mean, I deserve to die for all the wrong I've done. I have earned death just like I've earned a wage because of my sin. That's the bad news. The good news is the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it has to be a gift because I don't deserve it. It's a gift from God. Your biggest problem is not what you think it is. Your biggest problem is not your financial problem. Your biggest problem is not that you need a job or you need a better job. Your biggest problem is not the conflict that you're experiencing in in a relationship. I mean, those are big problems, but they're not your biggest problem. Your biggest problem is you are at war with God. You are at odds with God. And you may say, no, 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 I'm not. Yet every moment of every day, you're deciding who's going to control your life, you or God. Am I going to go God's way or am I going to go my way? Do I know what will make me happy or does God know what will make me happy? Am I going to do what he says to do in his word or am I going to ignore the Bible and do what I think? You're at war with God. And that tension, that war, it's why you're so frustrated. It's why you don't sleep well. It's it's why you're stressed out because you weren't made to live out of harmony with the God who made you. You weren't made to live forsaken by your heavenly Father. God wants you to live in harmony with Him. So that's our problem. God is perfect. We're sinful. God is holy. Sin is ugly. And somebody has to pay the cost to solve that dilemma. And salvation is costly. You know, God offers salvation to you as a free gift, but someone has to pay for it. Salvation is free. It is not cheap. It costs the Father his Son, and it costs the Son his life. If there were any other way for you to get into heaven, if there were any other way for you to be rightly related to God, don't you think God would have done it? Rather than sacrifice his Son on the cross, of course he would. There's this mindset today that, that, that everybody's going to go to heaven. doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. If you're Buddhist or Muslim or Hindu, even atheist, everybody's going to wind up in heaven. And I just imagine Jesus Christ hanging on the cross saying, if it doesn't matter what you believe, then why am I hanging here bleeding to death on this cross? If it doesn't matter what you believe, why am I shedding my blood for you? If there's any other way, why am I doing this? And it's because there is no other way. Romans 3.25, God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People, that's you and me, people are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. That's how we're made right with God. When we believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, when we recognize the substitution that Christ paid your debt on the cross, but you must believe it. Galatians 3.13, Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. Jesus paid the fine for your crime. Jesus paid your death penalty with his death 
on the cross. Salvation is costly. Now, based upon that, what's supposed to be my response? Christ did his part. What's my part? First, I must turn from my sin and trust Jesus to save me. There's no other way. Romans 3.22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, we all get saved the same way, by trusting in Jesus Christ. I want you to think for a moment. Think of the one thing that you're the most ashamed of in your life. What is your biggest regret? What, what, what is the thing you carry the most guilt about? And it probably popped right into your mind as soon as I said that because you're thinking about it all the time. And I want you to know that Jesus Christ paid for that sin. You don't have to keep hanging yourself on the cross because Jesus Christ hung on the cross and paid for it. You don't have to keep beating yourself up over that sin because Jesus Christ was beaten up for that sin. And the very thing you don't want anyone in the world to know, the very thing that you're most ashamed of, the thing that you regret the most, the thing you're the most embarrassed about, Jesus Christ paid for that sin on the cross. That's how much he loves you. That's the value of the gift that he's offering to you when you believe in him. Now, if you don't accept Christ as your Savior, if you choose to continue to live in sin rather than repent and turn to Christ, then you're going to pay for that sin. You're going to pay for all your sin forever in hell. But God says today, right now, in this moment, I can turn from my sin and I can trust in Christ and I can be forgiven and I can become rightly related to God. Don't turn away from the gospel. Turn to it. Second thing I do is I live in a state of gratitude. Romans 5.11 says, Now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God, all because of what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Notice you didn't do anything. Jesus did it all. And so, to me, a very logical, very rational, non-emotional question is to ask, is, is how could you not love someone who died for you? How could you not love someone, not be grateful every single day when you realize what Jesus Christ has done? How could you not want to praise Him and, and know Him and learn about Him and grow in Him and follow Him and serve Him and tell others about Him? How could you not do that when you realize what He's done for you? I turn from my sin, and and I trust him to save me, and then I start living my life in gratitude. The way that looks around here at Rockbrook is is, is you make the decision to be obedient to Christ's commands and be baptized as, as a profession of your faith. You become a member of the church. You get plugged into a church body. You go through our growth track. That's our discipleship process. We, we do classes uh, on every Sunday afternoon. Next Sunday, we're going to uh, do a one-on-one church. And then uh, you get plugged into that process. You discover your gifts and talents. You get onto a dream team. You start serving. And you do those things not so you can be saved. You do those things out of gratitude for the fact that you are saved. You begin to live in a state of gratitude, and it changes the pattern of your life. Third thing, when I'm tempted, I remember what my sin cost Jesus Christ. 
Peter says, God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. The ransom he paid was not mere gold or silver. He paid for you with the precious lifeblood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. And when I, when I remember what my sin cost Jesus Christ, it, it just takes the power out of temptation. When I'm tempted to sin and I, and I think of what that sin cost Jesus Christ, it, it, it just it takes the power out of it. It is not worth it to me to sin because I know what it cost Jesus Christ. The cross is not just about saving me from hell. It's not just about getting me into heaven. The cross is the power by which I live moment by moment, decision by decision every day. I live my life in the power of the cross. Fourth thing that I do is I tell others the good news. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, somebody told you, and so you're going to wind up in heaven, but when you get there, is anybody going to be in heaven because you told them about Jesus Christ? Is anybody going to be in heaven because you told them about Christ? 2 Peter 3, God is patient for your sake. He doesn't want to destroy anyone. God doesn't want to send anybody to hell, but wants all people to have an opportunity to turn to him and change the way they think and act. God wants everybody to have an opportunity to come to faith in Christ and and to repent. The typical Cass County resident is at home right now watching TV, totally unaware of what Jesus Christ has done for them. Sure, they know about Christmas, they know about Easter, but they don't know what I've told you today. They don't know about that. And that person must be reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because if that person sitting at home right now dies without trusting in Jesus Christ, then Jesus' death for that person was a total waste. A total waste. It wasn't effective. They didn't accept the substitute. And so now they're paying for their own sin. But everybody needs to come to faith in Jesus Christ. And love leaves us no choice. We've got to tell them. As long as there's one person in our community who doesn't know Jesus Christ, we've got to keep growing. We've got to keep reaching out. We've got to keep, keep telling them. Because the love of Christ constrains us to share the gospel. So here's the question. It's a question for you. Are you going to turn from your sin and trust Christ to save you? Are you going to accept Christ's substitution, his death on the cross for your sin? I want you to take out that communication card. Hopefully everybody got one as you came in today. And there's a little section in here on our Easter survey that says A, B, C, D. And everybody in here falls into one of these four categories. Absolutely everybody. A means I already have already trusted Jesus Christ to save me. If you're here today and you've already trusted in Jesus Christ to save you, praise God for that. You can check an A because you already believe. B means I am beginning today to trust Jesus Christ to save me. And maybe today, right here in this service, in this moment, it's come together for you. You've realized, you know what? I knew he came at Christmas. I knew he died at Easter. But I didn't know he did it for me. I didn't know that I needed to believe in that. I didn't need to trust in him to save me. And so today, right here in this moment, you're making the decision. I'm beginning to believe Jesus. Then you can check B. 
C means I, I'm, I'd like to consider this a bit more before I decide. And I realize, I'm not trying to pressure you to make a decision today, because I realize this is a big decision. This decision will change everything. It'll change your marriage. It'll change your relationship with your kids. It'll change your relationship with your friends. It'll change your relationship at work. It'll change how you handle your money. It'll change your habits and your hobbies. It'll change everything if you give your life to Jesus Christ. And so this is a big decision, and it's worthy of consideration. And so I recognize, you, you may say, you know what, I need to consider this. And I'd invite you to come back for the rest of this series. Come back and hear what else Jesus has to say for you from the cross. But the concern I have for you is that you don't put off the decision too long. Because frankly, you, you don't know what's going to happen in your life. And you don't know whether, I mean, your life could end this afternoon. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. And so I recognize that, that this is a, a decision worthy of consideration, but please don't put it off too long. And I don't say that to pressure you, I say that to protect you. Because I don't want you to put it off and miss your opportunity to accept Jesus Christ. D means I don't ever intend on making that decision to trust Christ. Why would I give you that option? because I just want you to be honest. And if that's where you're at, that's the one you need to check. And I'll tell you, there was a point in my life when I would have said, I don't ever intend to trust in Jesus Christ. I don't ever intend to have anything to do with Jesus Christ. I mean, that's where I was at at one point in my life. And it wasn't long after that that I made the decision to give my life to Jesus Christ. There are lots of people at Rockbrook who at some point in their life would have said, I don't ever intend on trusting in Jesus Christ. And then Jesus Christ just came in and loved them to the point where they believed. And so if that's where you are, put it down. And we'll pray for you. Let's pray right now. If you're here today and you've already trusted in Jesus Christ, you can celebrate what we're celebrating today just so fully, so freely. You can enter in, live a life of gratitude live a life with power over temptation, you can fulfill the Great Commission by sharing your faith with other people. What, what a gift God has given you. God, we thank you for that today. If you're here today and in this moment you want to begin to trust in Jesus Christ, that this is your moment, this is your time. Just say, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me of my sins. And give me that new, abundant, eternal life that you've promised to people who believe in you. God, bind up my hurts and my, heal my wounds and help me to be in a right relationship with God, my Father. That can happen for you right now in this moment. And if you're here today and you check C and you said, you know, I really got to consider this, I would consider you to count the cost of what it means to believe in Jesus Christ. I would also encourage you to consider the cost of not believing in Jesus Christ. Don't put it off. You do not want to pay for your sin. Jesus said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? And if you check D, you don't ever intend to trust in Christ, my prayer for you would be that God would just begin to open your eyes, that you would begin to see the wonderful creator who made you, who made the world around you. The God who loves you, who cares for you, who desires for you to be in a right relationship with him, who offers you forgiveness and healing and hope, and that as you move through your days, that God would just sidle up next to you and just love you to the point of belief. 
God, we thank you for the gospel and that those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. In Jesus' name, amen.